Rory, I got money to spend. Let's go shopping. <laughs> let's let's look for our <laughs> our ideal afterlife. Welcome to episode forty of the Humanist Agenda podcast. My name is Kenny. I'm Sherry, and I'm Rory. We made it to number forty. Yay! Yay! I didn't even know this was a milestone episode. Me too. I just looked it up. I'm like, what episode is this? <laughs> Hey, episode 40. Exactly. I'm I'm glad we made it to 40. Our next milestone, the big 5-0. So we'll, we'll, we'll need to do something special for that episode. Absolutely. I have to plan mm-hmm. big for that one. So um, how's everyone doing? Are we all surviving? We sure are. Mm-hmm. I found out that teachers are going to be in the next phase of vaccination, so I'm very excited. Whoa. So I might survive longer than you two. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I was at my uh, dentist uh, this past week and I was asking like whether they were on the list. And I mean, I basically reside to basically say, I mean, I'm probably at the bottom of the list. I'm (laughs) absolutely not essential. I'm young. I'm definitely at the very bottom of the list. So that makes me personally sad. Last person in Canada to be vaccinated, Kenny. And the one that's most excited about it, too. (laughs) (laughs) Give me that mRNA. I just want that mRNA in me. Yeah, I feel really bad for people who are not getting vaccinated early. I know Ali, so Ali's a dental hygienist, and uh, and she's not getting vaccinated in this second phase, at least as far as I know. And, like, dentists and dental hygienists are right up close to people, and their mouths are mm-hmm. open, breathing all over them. Like, I can't I can't imagine why teachers yeah, that, are getting it Yeah, that's what I them. said to my yeah. dental hygienist, too. I mean, like, you're up in everyone's faces, I mean, dental or oral hygiene is super important for your health. I mean, there's a lot of downstream effects of not having proper dental health. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they should be ahead of me, even though that pains me to say. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know. And and it it definitely hurts that I'm getting it before her, but I'm still going to take advantage of that. So sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As a humanist, you know, we're supposed to... think of the greater good but i trust me i'm fighting the every every part of my being from being selfish <laughs> yeah yeah we all want to be first and uh yeah i wish it could be everyone at the same time but you know if we do die <laughs> here we go is there an afterlife <laughs> <laughs> anyways that that's basically <laughs> That transition, Kenny. That's basically our topic for today. We're going to be talking about the afterlife. And I think maybe we should start off with maybe a little bit of statistics uh, that I found uh, from Pew Research, which, you know, I often go to first uh, to kind of see what the polling data kind of shows. And uh, this is a poll for Americans and, uh, you know, not a big surprise, but a lot of Americans believe in the concept of heaven. I I don't know if that's surprising to you guys. (laughs) Shocker. Yeah. So in 2015, uh, the polling data showed about 72% of Americans believed in heaven and heaven defined as a place where uh, people who led good lives are eternally rewarded. So, you know, huge majority uh, believe in heaven. Uh, strangely enough, 
only 58% of people believed in hell oh. uh, as defined as a place where people who have led bad lives uh, and died without being sorry are eternally punished. I feel like that has a lot to do with the American ideology of like the American dream of if you work hard enough, you will get the riches and the spoils and whatever. But there's no downside to all of this. It's more like you can only go up. So <laughs> mm, I, but, I can see and that. Also the American. concept of if you, you can like repent for your sins, like no matter how bad you are, as long yeah. as you repent and mm. you believe in, you know, God and Jesus and uh, whatever other supernatural being, you are then magically allowed into heaven. No matter all the bad things you've done in your past. So wash it away like a baptism. Just wash it all off, squeaky clean, ready for heaven now. (laughs) So in reality, what incentives does anyone actually have to being good (laughs) if they can just, on their deathbed, just wash everything away? That is a good question. We'll definitely return to that when I'm talking about pros and cons. Do you think you need to legitimately be sorry for your sins? Or do you think you can just say you're sorry for your sins and then it's okay? <laughs> just fake it. <laughs> fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the rules are here. It, it, <laughs> there's no manual, I guess. I think... I think it does have to be heartfelt because they don't even have like a a specific salvation prayer. You just have to really feel it and be genuine about it. So I I think you do have to not fake it in this instance. Yeah, but if you did like really bad things, I mean, could you really, I don't know, really feel like, you know, you were sorry for it? Like to force yourself to feel really sorry for it, would that get you into heaven? And and what about all the things that I did that were bad, but I forgot about them, and so they just go unrepented, and, you know, they're skeletons in my closet ready to jump me when I get to those pearly gates. Mm-hmm. You need to yeah. repent so, every day, Rory. I know. You every gotta, single thing you do, because you don't know if it's a sin or not. It could be a sin, and you have right. not repented. You got to keep up with this. You can't let it slide. Dear God, I'm sorry for the cheese I ate. <laughs> Amen. Sorry for the cheese. Sorry for the shrimp that you <laughs> ate. Sorry for wearing mixed fabric clothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are some of the uh, the teachings in the Bible, at least for Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in terms of uh, Christianity, uh, not a big surprise, but Christianity, uh, Self-identified Christians tend to believe in heaven more than any other religion, uh, other than uh, Muslims. So uh, it's when you kind of look at the various data of the different religions and their beliefs and the concept of heaven and hell, Christianity, uh, Islam, way, way to uh, the right, uh, where it's basically, you know, they definitely believe in some kind of afterlife. Mm-hmm. And I think not surprising as well, uh, they did the same type of uh, polling back in 2017, and the data has not significantly changed. <laughs> so the, there's the majority of Christians, uh, Muslims, still believe in the concept of heaven and hell uh, based on the previous numbers I stated as well. So it's not going anywhere, these notions of afterlife. Yeah. And when we kind of look at 
kind of the age range. Uh, I had made the assumption that the younger generation uh, would definitely not believe in some kind of higher power. Right. And uh, by proxy, also maybe not believe in the concept of heaven. But an Angus Reid poll in Canada actually showed something different. Uh, what was surprising was uh, millennials are more likely to believe in an afterlife. Really? Even though they are less likely to believe in God. Huh. How do you believe in an afterlife but not a God? I... Honestly, don't know. Uh, like when uh, look, I looked into the polling data, I, there's a concept of being be, being able to believe in some kind of like supernatural power that's mm. all you know, all knowing. And then there's the other concept of being once you die, you're in a better place in a you know whatever in a I guess in this case a, a heaven. And it's interesting because. Uh, millennials do identify as being more spiritual. I don't know what that really means in this case, but they you know they believe in uh, some kind of spirituality, but they don't believe in this all-powerful God that judges them and you know sends commandments down from high above. Uh, but they do still believe and are more likely to actually believe in some kind of like life after death. Hmm. That's interesting. Of all the afterlives that I examined, only one of them didn't involve a god figure or multiple god figures. Mm-hmm. What is um, maybe also disappointing about the poll is millennials are also more likely than the pre-boomers to believe that we, we as a human being, can communicate with the dead. So there's this like supernatural... Mm-hmm. Um, supernatural thing uh that that kind of exists uh, again you know these are very these, these are uh polling data of a broad sector of millennials not every millennial obviously kind of believes this but when you kind of just look at it from a percentage standpoint it's just interesting that millennials uh, are more likely to believe in kind of this supernatural not this one powerful being but some kind of like supernatural uh entity or abilities uh that allow you to you know communicate with the dead or kind of be able to access an afterlife after you're dead you know what you just reminded me of uh something that happened just this morning with my breakfast because it sounds a lot like ghosts and, and whatnot. So I poured my breakfast, and then for no reason that I could understand, my cereal box tipped over on me and spilled some cereal on the table. I'm like, damn it, it must be these malevolent spirits that are hanging out <laughs> around me that that caused this to happen, this woeful misfortune to befall me. So is You that haven't is? been feeding them enough cereal, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> that must be it. Is it millennials <laughs> believe in ghosts? Is that what's going on? Mm-hmm. I think this is TV's problem. I think we have so many, like, ghost hunting shows and stuff like that. And listen, I hate to say it, but I I, I watch and have watched ghost hunting shows on occasion. I don't, like, follow them every Shay, episode. I'm, I'm judging you right now. I'm judging you. <laughs> I love Halloween stuff, and I love that idea of, like, the creepy, dark, um, like, abandoned hospitals and stuff like that. Like, that all, like, creeps me out. I like that feeling. But I don't believe that there's ghosts, but I love watching it. It's just fun. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say super fun. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love scary movies, but uh, for me, I don't really believe in ghosts. I probably did when I was younger, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I I recently uh, rewatched the Sixth Sense, uh, Sixth Sense, and that's still like, such a great movie. Yeah, I didn't sure. like that movie. I saw the ending coming, and I know that everyone like, doesn't <gasps> believe me, but like I just I figured it out before. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, this is stupid. <laughs> It's because Sherry, you're too smart. You're too smart. <laughs> That's it. That's Smarter impressive. than the rest of us. I don't. I, mean, I don't was... think it was me being smart. I think I am just very imaginative and could come up with <laughs> alternate endings of things. <laughs> I mean, you called it before we knew what the Shyamalan twist was. Mm. So, pretty impressive. I don't think I could do it now. That was when I was a young kid. I've lost my imagination since then. I have grown up and become an adult. And I stopped believing in heaven and ghosts. Oh, so, oh dear. Yeah. So, Rory, tell us, what kind of heavens are there? You know, <laughs> there's different religions out there with different beliefs. You know, which heaven is the right heaven for us, if it does exist? This is a very good question. Before I get there, though, I'm just going to quickly touch on a, a couple of how and why questions, just to get it out of the way since I did try to make that my approach to this topic for today, but it was more fun to just go heaven shopping. But in terms of the why question, you know, we have all kinds of myths out there for people who are facing crises like births, deaths, adolescence, marriage, procreation, you know, myths are a psychological tool. They're a way to avoid insecurity and self-doubt and anything anxiety related. Now, we live in a time right now that's all about mythoclasm. We're debunking all these myths and we're imagining them as falsehoods and unreal imaginary. I mean, we've had our laughs about it already. A question that I wanted to pose that popped up to me when I was reading about this is, do you think that we are more anxious and feeling more alienated because we're rejecting all these myths that gave past generations and past cultures more assurances? I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if I will get more anxious as I get older. Do you know what I mean? Not like not like 10 years from now, but like let's say when I'm 80 and I'm looking, you know, down the barrel of death <laughs> or 90 or whatever, whenever people die, um I envision I will probably live to like in my 80s or something. But uh like You're I feel an like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. People live till their 80s. I don't know. Um, but I I think about, like, will I become more anxious at that time and really want to believe in this afterlife or uh, something like that, which is why I was surprised that more older people don't believe in um, mm-hmm. afterlife. The younger millennials believe in that kind of uh, afterlife. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I wonder that myself. Um, to be honest, I I hope I don't become so anxious that I want to believe it. Uh, I you know, for me, I, I I really wanted to kind of ground myself in reality, and I really am trying to. Uh, I would try to actively fight that that uh, desire to really try to believe in some some kind of afterlife, and it. The problem is it it was ingrained in me when I was a child, right? When I was young, uh, having to go to church, 
having kind of been indoctrinated in the concept of heaven and hell. And it, it, it's somewhere in my subconscious right now, but I'm hoping that I can continue to ground myself in reality. So what will be your, your terror management uh, when you're on your deathbed? What are you going to tell yourself to, to stave off that, that seductive desire to say, no, this isn't it. There's something after. But I, I feel like I, I want to die uh, knowing that I have lived the best life I've, I can have hmm. and knowing that you know there's, uh, there's nothing to fear because ultimately when, uh, when you die, you know, when it goes black, you know, when, when things go black and when there's nothing existing of you, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's there's nothing, and that's okay. And you know, to me, that's that that's not something to fear. It's just it is what it is. You you've done your best, you've lived your best life, and now things can go quiet, and you're not going to have any pain or suffering. It's a good way to look at it. To just look back and say, you know, I I did a good job of it. I I led a good life. It happened the way I wanted. I was good to people. I like that approach. Because the article I was reading, this one by Heflick et al., 2015, they said that as people don't believe in afterlife, they become more inclined to pursue symbolic immortality. They want to make a name for themselves that endures forever. You know, like that old uh, B-movie Troy where Achilles wants his name to be remembered for all times. But... From what you said, it doesn't really sound like you need the whole world to acknowledge your name. You just have to know internally and intrinsically that you did it right. Yeah, I mean, for me, that uh, again, I, I'm I maybe thinking in a selfish way, but really, I only really care about what I'm <laughs> feeling at that time. If I'm on my deathbed, I don't think I'm going to care about what you know Joe Blow in halfway around the world uh, knows about me. You don't care um, if you're in but, the history books. Yeah, I mean, not everyone. I think the reality is not everyone's going to be in the history books. And you know, you how, how many billions and billions and billions of people have lived before us, and we don't know anything about them. That's just the reality of things. Um, but we have one comment or one perspective I can give from a scientific perspective: uh, this all of our elements that make us will live on forever. I mean, <laughs> you know, we we may. Uh, our consciousness may pass and uh, become non-existent, but every molecule of our body will continue to live on forever and ever, potentially forming, you know, new life uh, in the next generation and continue to be part of the universe. So in a, in an essence, we are, we do live forever, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> our, 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 our components continue to live on forever. Very abstract thinking there. I like it. I think this is why we have children as well, so that um, mm. we, because even in the act of having children, you have that legacy that you are passing on. Like you said, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be in the history books um, to have that legacy that you're passing on. And I think a lot of people have children for that reason. Score that genetic immortality. Yep. Well, that that's one way to do it, and it's the only one we really have access to today, so mm-hmm. I could get down for that. Um, touching quickly on the how before we go heaven shopping, I thought it was important to note that 
anybody who believes in the afterlife, they have to believe in something called a, a body self dualism in that they believe that the mind or your essence is somehow distinct from your physical body that when you die, the physical you dies, but there's some kind of separation from you know, the mind portion of you. And, uh, yeah, that was the last of my notes on that. So mm-hmm. let's touch on some. Well, yeah, well, before you jump oh. off, I, to me, I mean, there's, I don't know if there's any scientific evidence to really kind of show there's a separation. I mean, biologically, again, it's just neurons firing. And yeah, and uh, you, I, I know from a religious standpoint, there is a separation between the body and the spirit. Um, but it, it still goes to all of us are biological computers mm-hmm. that are processing information and processing this reality and creating our consciousness. Um, and maybe I'll uh, quote um, Stephen Hawking, the uh, theoretical physicist. Um, this was an interview he did, uh, obviously, before he died. But uh, he stated, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy tale uh, story for people afraid of the dark. Hmm. I think it's <laughs> I think it's easy to believe that there is that separation though just because when you think about it logically um like neurons firing is just sort of electricity. And to think that all of these thoughts come out of my head, all of these feelings that are generated within me um, are just electricity. Like it's hard to wrap. It's hard for the regular person. It's hard for me to wrap my head around like, okay, this is just electricity firing. So I think, I think, I think it's easy for people to say like, oh, there's that disconnect. I feel like I am in a, in a meat shell um, and I have this sort of unique personality and, um, yeah, so I think it's easy for people to believe in that sort of thing. I, I wouldn't look down on someone for believing that because it's, it's hard. It's hard. Even when I think about computers, how does my computer work? I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right. Sure. Or maybe, maybe this is all a simulation. Okay. We won't go down that road, but <laughs> not, yet. not today, <laughs> not today. But it is, it's highly intuitive to believe in some kind of dualism and to, to separate things out. So you're not wrong in saying that it, it's easy to think. And to believe that there's a, a computer in our heads that's wired with every single possibility accounted for. Why would I do this or do that? Why would I think this way or think that way? How could all that possibly be there in physical structure? It's it's mind-blowing to even try to comprehend. So we won't try to comprehend it. Instead, <laughs> we're going to delve into a few of these myths and uh, and see which one calls to us. Rory, I got money to spend. Let's go shopping. <laughs> let's, let's look for our, exactly. our ideal afterlife. Wait, are these uh, locations available on, like, Expedia.com and... <laughs> Like, where, where can we like buy a ticket to uh, these uh, heavenly places? I'm not ah. going on an airplane. There's too much COVID. So tell me how I can get to the closest local one. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure they're only selling tickets at the churches and temples. So you're going to mm-hmm. have to 
you're going to have to abandon your usual online methods of travel for this one. All right, let's start with uh, the ancient Egyptians. For ancient Egypt, when a body dies, the ba, or soul personality, so already we've got dualism, a soul, separates from it. After the death rituals, mummification, all that good stuff, you begin your journey to the afterworld, and it's actually one that's full of danger. So you board a solar bark, that's a boat used by the sun god Ra, and along the way you're going to see all kinds of uh, frightening sights like serpents with long knives, fire-spitting dragons, five-headed reptiles, and all manner of very scaly things that are going to scare you on your way to Duat, the land of the gods. And when you get to the land of the gods, you're going to have to pass through seven gates, and you're going to have to recite accurately a magic spell for each of these gates. Should you happen to get through all of that, you're going to reach the Hall of Osiris, also known as the Palace of Judgment. And there, you're going to have your heart removed and placed on a scale. And the god Anubis is going to oversee the weighing of your heart, and the weighing of the heart is counterbalanced with a feather. And if your heart is equal to the weight of a feather, then you are granted immortality. Now, I'm assuming this is some kind of allusion to you don't have a heavy heart, you don't have a lot of guilt and misdeeds and a non-virtuous life that would weigh that scale down in terms of your heavy heart. Oh, and if you fail, the goddess uh, Amemet is just going to devour you, and that's going to be the end of you. Yum. So, pros and cons. This is a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, that's one of my cons, actually, is this is a quite a fraught journey you're going to have to go through just to score an afterlife. But the pros. Wait, and you said you have to like memorize stuff as well, right? Because you have to recite. Yeah, you're going to have to know at least seven magic spells to get through those gates. And I'm not sure if while you're on the boat, whether you have to fight the serpents with the long knives and the fire-beathing dragons, or whether you can just hide on the boat and pretend they're not there. <laughs> it's a little murky in terms of what happens on your voyage, but with one these, thing for sure. With these magic spells, um, do you have to know them in like everyday life before you die? Or is this something like you have to memorize while you're sitting on the boat? You're like looking at these magic spells like, oh man, like I got to remember sheet. this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I assume that when do you part, learn of their, part of their culture is what I would assume that they, they learn what these spells are and they know them. They might even be as short as one word for all I know. All I could read on it was that it was seven magic spells. I don't know if it was a long incantation. Like, if you're going to have to memorize a paragraph for each of those gates, then uh, this is not going to be a, a heaven for everyone, that's for sure. Yeah, what about the people who have really bad memory, like, issues? I'm right? never going to remember all these seven spells. <laughs> what if I you can't get remember mixed what... up? Yeah, right? I can't remember what I ate for breakfast. How am I going to remember seven spells? <laughs> Do you have to have the right one for the right gate? How do you recognize it? I mean, what if there's only subtle differences? There's a lot of questions that I have. What about inflection? What about if you mispronounce a word and then <laughs> you're locked out of heaven forever? <laughs> do, do you get redos? Because, like, I feel like you do, like, do you get three three tries yeah, and you're and out? three strikes to show up in front of you? I, Can I, don't I know. load I'm... the last save point? <laughs> Can you call a friend? Like, uh, you know, so who is this like a game show? <laughs> yeah. 
I, I'm afraid I don't have answers to any of these uh, deep philosophical questions that you're throwing at me. So, <laughs> pros and cons. Um, an obvious pro is it's, like many afterlife myths, it's encouraging a virtuous form of living. You're wanting to be light as a feather by the time you get to, uh, get to the Judgment Palace. Among the cons, I'm going to first bring up something that I didn't really touch on. I feel like there's some kind of class-based separation because it was hinted that Pharaoh does not go to the same place that your everyday Joe goes, that Pharaoh can become one with Osiris. And I don't think that's something available to, uh, to every person who, who takes that voyage. Well, you said it, ha- it happens after the mummified process, right? Because I don't think everyone became mummies back then. Am I correct? I don't know. I, I can't say for sure either. Kenny, any notions on this? No, I, I'm not up to date in uh, mummies. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's possible that, uh, that this fraught journey, maybe it was only for pharaohs. Like I, I didn't read that deep into it to see whether everybody's going through this. I feel like parts of it should apply to everybody in terms of having their, their hearts weighed and all that kind of thing. But I also got the sense that there was a real class separation, different places for, for different tiers of citizen. Yeah, and then what happens if you die at sea? Then you can't become a mummy. Yeah, if mummification is essential to it, then... Stay on land. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like it is because part of the mummification ritual is like they're activating your senses for the afterlife. They're... They're touching different things to you to give you the ability to see and to smell and to speak. And if you can't speak, then you're not saying those seven keyword spells. You're not going anywhere. Those gates are locked and you're dealing with serpents for the rest of your life. Afterlife, I mean. This is not... I I give this about one star. (laughs) This is a one-star destination. This is not for Kenny. Kenny's looking to continue shopping. And on that... Listen, yeah, when... When I think about uh, when I travel on vacation, I, I don't want to be working and <laughs> try to figure out the, the right, you know, spells to get through the, the concierge. And, <laughs> and then if you get it at the very end and you're not light as a feather, you get devoured. Uh, I, no, yeah. no. I, I also give it a one star. I get uh, seasick pretty easily. So the first part, <laughs> I would already be out. <laughs> thrown up over the side of the boat into the, all of the serpents. Uh, they don't want that. I don't want that. So one star for me, too. I hear you. I yeah. hear you. It, it, it's definitely one of the more challenging afterlifes to get to. I wish I'd read more on what you actually get if you do score your way in. Like, is is it 60 virgins or, or whatnot? I'm, I'm not sure what awaits you if you pass all these tests. Maybe it would be enough to bring you up to a two-star rating. I'm not sure. That'll have to be a research project for someone. <laughs> because we're going to move on to the next afterlife theory, which I actually encountered from video games. You'll love that, Sherry. My, <laughs> one of my favorite video game series, the Final Fantasy series. And in both number seven and the film, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, they lean heavily on something called the Gaia theory. And that is that all living organisms... Every biological being has a life force, and so does the planet. And so when each new spirit that gets housed in a physical body, they are enriched by their experiences on Earth. And as they mature and grow, 
they have all these experiences collected. And when the body dies, that mature spirit, which is enriched by the life on Earth, it returns to the planet, brings all those experiences, and that lets the planet itself, Gaia, live and grow. I've encountered this one lots before. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise you to know that. Um, I think it's very popular in like Japanese cultures and Asian cultures and things like that, because I've seen it in sort of anime form and, and those sorts of things. And notably, I don't see any kind of God figure in this. No one's judging you. Your experiences are just your experiences. And when you pass, those go to the planet. It's not any kind of So what do, you, what do I get out of it? <laughs> what do I get out of this deal? That is a good question. Um, I think from what I understand, oh, sorry, Rory, I don't know if you've done ahead, research Sherry. on it. From what I, I understand <laughs> is that, uh, so you've got this um, big Gaia spirit, and so you're living on the earth, you're accumulating your experiences and growing and whatever, and then when you die, your spirit goes back into Gaia so that uh, when a new spirit is born, it comes from Gaia. So it, it's born with um, your experiences and and things yeah, like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's building on it. So we get, you know, I don't want to downplay anybody born centuries ago, but you get better and better spirits coming out of it, I would assure, assume, because mm-hmm. they're more mature. They've they've been enriched more than the spirits that existed a long, longer time ago. Mm-hmm. So does someone, my spirit have to co-mingle with like Trump's spirit? Yes. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, I'm going to just get into my perks Trump and drawbacks. Trump doesn't have a spirit. <laughs> Trump doesn't have a spirit. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's pretty hollow. So he's just going to disperse pretty quickly when he, when he touches down in the, in the Gaia spirit. I think that some of the benefits of this are, for one, you get a strong sense of interconnection with you, the planet. You get a responsibility for the planet and with everybody else around because you're all together in this. And when you when you go down into the afterlife, you're all going to be mingled together. So don't treat everybody like crap because you're going to feel a little bit of that, that when you're part of the spirit realm. So what if you die on Mars? Good question, whether you're... You're shooting all the way back to, to Earth, or whether you're uh, you're part of the Mars Gaia. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all those poor Mars colonists. Like, once they die, are they just going to be lonely and maybe the they, Mars Gaia? You know what Earth had? To what sp- about up in space, like in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> That's purgatory, Kenny. Um, <laughs> don't die in space. <laughs> Earth had to start somewhere, too. So, you know, all those single-celled organisms, they must have been pretty lonely when they passed. But, you know, now we've reached this point uh, a few million years in, and, uh, you know, we've got some more interesting and mature spirits to uh, to mingle with when we get there. But I totally feel your, um, your reservation, Kenny, in that I, I can't get around this thought that your sense of individuality is definitely going to be lost when you when you touch down in the Gaia that you're not you anymore. You're you as part of a hundred billion other spirits, which is not just human beings, but plants and animals and anything that has any kind of bio- biological life force. You know, you're mingled with them too. So the you that you think of, your stream of consciousness feels like it would be gone and reamalgamated into something new that will come out as a new spirit when something is born or created. Yeah. I just don't want to co-mingle with my ex. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're probably not going to recognize them among the hundred billion trillion other life forces that you're, that you're touching down with. Yeah. 
So I like the fact that, you know, it is earthbound. You're not going up into some uh, magic place in the, you know, in the sky. And there's no um, one uh, judge or many judges kind of uh, um, basically evaluating all of your life's yeah. uh, past history. and No one's putting like your heart so, on a scale. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'd give this a... Three out of five. Three out of five? That's pretty solid. That's yeah. that's leaning okay. towards I, destination I, travel. I, I, I'm okay with that. I was going to give it like three and a half. I like the idea that we have this respect for the environment because they because plants and animals and things like that are just as valuable as <laughs> humans. Um, so I like that idea about it. So three and a half, maybe four on the generous side. Yeah, and... You know, to to bring it up even more, if you're okay with oblivion just not existing at all, why wouldn't you be okay with being amalgamated into something new? It's just a different kind of oblivion. But ew, <laughs> do I have to touch that? <laughs> do I have to touch that? <laughs> I love that Kenny's having all these sticky, icky feelings of. The... <laughs> Don't come near me. <laughs> Listen, I barely enjoy hugs, and now I have to like touch all of these. <laughs> like spirits. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go to somewhere more exciting. Let's go to Valhalla. So Valhalla comes from the meaning of the words valor, meaning battle corpses, and hall, meaning hall. Literal translation, hall of the slain. It's a Norse paradise for heroes slain in battle or in sacrifice. When you die, assuming you're, you meet the qualification criteria, Valkyries are going to come down and carry the fallen warriors to Odin's Hall, where they're going to eat, drink, and fight until the end of the world. And at the end of the world, they have to fight at Odin's side. You know, you're not staying in this hall rent-free. You're part of his army now. <laughs> the roof of the hall is made of shields. The shafts are from, or the shafts of spears form the rafters. There are 540 huge doors. These doors, when I say huge, they're big enough for 800 people to walk out side by side all at once. A little bit about Odin. He's the god of the dead, battle, poetry, and wisdom. His ravens are named Hugin, Thought, and Munin, memory. Uh, He sustains himself on mead alone, so he's not eating with you. He's just gulping down the mead while everybody's going at it. But you're going to be eating a whole lot of boar, because the boar... Shehim, yeah. <laughs> <What>? Rimnir. <laughs> I'm going to have to break that one down into three syllables because that is an impossible name. The boar, the magic boar, gets stewed up every day and he arises again every new day so you can continue eating him for all eternity. And mead is flowing continuously from the udders of a goat called Hydrum and it's fed from the leaves of a tree called the Leirader. And it never gives out. It's constantly pumping out the mead for everybody. So all day long, there's going to be a battle playing out where the Einherjar, that's all the heroes, the dead people who are in it with you, your companions, you're fighting and killing each other all day long. But when a bell rings at the end, you're fully restored and you get to feast and drink mead and you're ready to go for the next day. 
A uh, couple of origin theories. Some people think this is just a glorified chieftain's hall from the Scandinavian countries that they just took what they had and made it into an afterlife. Uh, there's possibly some Roman influence from the Colosseum. There's also an interesting coincidence in that the 540 doors and the 800 warriors, 540 times 800 is 432,000, which is a sacred number to the ancient Babylonians and the ancient Indians. Would they have known how to multiply at that point in time? I don't know, but (laughs) it's just interesting that this number would come up in multiple cultures that we don't know if they had any interaction with one another. Mm. But there may have been some influence because magic number 432,000. It nicely explains why noble people who have no sins get taken away by the gods because Odin wants them in his fighting force. He wants the best of the best. So you're not as, uh, you're not questioning God for taking the best among us anymore because why wouldn't he want them? He wants them as bad as you do. So pros and cons. Valhalla inspires honor, duty, and bravery in battle. Don't think there's any question there. But an obvious con is it's going to encourage violence between people because everybody's got to find a way to prove themselves of being worthy of entering Odin's service. If you're a coward or you're you're crap at battle, then why would Odin want you? You're going somewhere else. You're not going to Valhalla. Are there good heavens for, like, the women who stay behind and, like, cook dinner or... um... I don't know, other people who are like the gatherers versus the hunters? I'm not sure about that, but it's interesting you mentioned women because... Women were fighting as well, yeah. Women are fighting force as well, so... But somebody's got to cook, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Some men are women have to cook. The food disappears, the food just appears. I mean, (laughs) maybe they're all really good multitaskers and the cookers are also the the fighters. I I didn't live in ancient Scandinavia. (laughs) Okay. I mean, yeah, fair. Um, But Sherry, you might have some insights because as I'm... uh, as I've been told, you've been experiencing some gameplay from uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla recently, and perhaps you can shed some light on uh, this topic. I have, I have. Uh, okay, game. I've liked the other Assassin's <laughs> Creed a little bit better. <laughs> um, but I, my experience I was actually thinking about comes from a, um, a poem, sort of a spoken word poem, Um, there is this poet called, uh, his name is Taylor Molly and he, uh, has done a whole bunch of different, um, spoken word poems that have blown up sort of, um, uh, on YouTube and and whatnot. But he has this one poem about how he teaches the Viking, uh, culture in his history class because he's a teacher. And so he talks about how, um, if you die with a sword in your hand or sorry, an, an ax in your hand, then you go to heaven. And that's sort of been my experience in the game as well, is that you need to die with an ax in your hand in order to go to Valhalla. And, um, and so in his class, one of the students asked, um, or sort of said, if I was an old man, I would always sleep beside my ax so that if I felt like I was about to die, I could grab my axe and then <laughs> die with my axe in my hand and then go straight to heaven. And and so t- 
Taylor sort of responds of like, if he was a Norse god, he definitely wouldn't buy it. But if he was an old Viking man, he would definitely be sleeping with an axe beside his bed so that he could grab it. And I think, (laughs) but I, I don't know if anyone really made it to old age at that time. There was a lot that killed people off, including battle. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that you have to have like this this weapon in your hands because uh, it represents that honor and glory in order to get into Valhalla. It's interesting, too, that with a, a culture that is going to glorify you and give you a shot at the best afterlife outcome for being slain, that it goes a long way to explain why the Vikings were so fearless in battle, why they were such a fighting force for the early Europeans who were being raided. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can just picture it now in every hospital room, there's an axe that <laughs> you can emergency axe to <laughs> grab and hand it off to the patient <laughs> when needed. Very unfortunately, we're not seeing nearly enough combat these days to, uh, to warrant very many of us getting into Valhalla in Western culture. Yeah. So this, I, I give it two stars. Um, it, the The violence is not really appealing to me. Uh, it kind of spews a little bit of kind of toxic masculinity. Mm. And, um, but to be honest, the only reason why I gave it the extra star is unlimited food. I am all in. Like, yep. seriously, like my idea of heaven is definitely food. Like if I can just eat... <laughs> Fantastic. And that is a big part of it. A lot of feasting going on. Exactly. Feasting, I'm all in. Feasting and fellowship as well. Don't forget the fellowship of all the other cool people who are sitting there feasting with you. One of which may have split your head with an axe that morning in the in the fun battle exercises you were engaging in. So Wonderful. But as long as there's boar, I'm all in. <laughs> I was going to give it four stars, and then you mentioned toxic masculinity. I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe three and a half. So three and a half <laughs> stars for me. Yeah. For one thing, again, the feasting. Yes, some boar. Give me some boar. Give me some mead. Feast and drink all night. Absolutely. I'm there for it. And um, another thing, you have a purpose. You're not just, like, kind of hanging out. I feel like the Christian heaven, there's not enough to do. You just get so uh. bored. I want to have a purpose. I will be part of Odin's army. That's totally fine. Every day I get up, I know I'm going to go fight some people. Um, and then I go and eat dinner. So it's got a good itinerary. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's a really good point. The sense of duty after you're gone rather than just, you know, the free willy-nilly do whatever makes you happy, which is obviously going to get boring in like two days of doing it. Exactly. Yeah, and then hanging out with your friends who hopefully also died with a sword or an axe or spear or whatever in their hands. I mean, there is the one minor drawback in that you're predestined to lose once Ragnarok comes along, but hey, (laughs) it'll be a heck of a fight, so... It'll be fun till that point, right? Every vacation's got to come to an end. (laughs) You wouldn't want to miss it. (laughs) (laughs) It's the must-see event of the season. (laughs) All right. Well, let's round out our adventure through the afterlife with one more famous mythological destination, and that would be the Christian heaven. So, in order to get into heaven, you have to, number one, become a Christian, 
meaning you accept Jesus Christ as the Savior unconditionally. In the Old Testament, you had to atone for your sins by making lots of animal sacrifices, but lucky day, New Testament comes along, and Jesus being killed on earth counts as the ultimate sacrifice, so we're forgiven for everything as long as we accept him as the Son of God. You can also invite Jesus into your life through prayer of salvation. And like I said before, there's no specific words to the prayer of salvation. It just has to be really heartfelt. Uh, A good way to signal that that you're on the winning team is with a baptism, sign of your commitment to Christ. Uh, And when you do die, so you've gone through all that, that's basically the mummification process. But when you do die, the angels are going to come down and they're going to escort you to heaven's gate. It's Luke 16, 22. And uh, when we get up to heaven, we get new bodies. That's Corinthians 15, 52. And they're nothing like our earth bodies. They don't feel pain, aging, suffering, none of that. Much better bodies. Inferior design, what we've got right now. But they know the right uh, framework up in heaven. Uh, Matthew 16, 18. St. Peter is the keeper of the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I, I guess he's a gatekeeper. He's definitely standing there at the pearly gates. Uh, and in some versions, Peter is going to look up your name in a book when you get to the to the gates. We will recognize our loved ones when we get into heaven. And it looks like the only real pathway for going to hell is for those who freely and continually reject God's forgiveness of their sins. I don't know if that means that when you're stewing in Satan's hell pot, if you uh, you finally see the error of your ways, whether you can get out and get to heaven... But I I actually have it down as a con that there's a lot of talk of God having wrath, that is a wrathful and vengeful God, and he's going to punish and condemn and shut people out for eternity, which I find is the most disturbing and horrifying thought of any of these afterlife myths, that there is someone that cold waiting to do the judging at the end. But the pro is you get to see your loved ones again as long as you, you qualify for the entrance. And then the hell is obviously Satan, and he's going to torture you for eternity in the fires of hell. Yes, yes. A lot of, uh, what was it, Dante's Inferno with the seven layers of hell. A lot of that stuff's outside the actual literal Bible, but the idea that God could shun you for all times, that's definitely in there. Does anyone feel like God is like a Karen? A Karen? Is that what you just said? Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the, the person that's going to, like, judge, you know, make a big fuss about inconsequential things. Would like things to see the manager. Throw, <laughs> would like to see the manager. Throw a temper tantrum. I, I think don't... it's his way versus the highway. I can see all those. I've never heard God described as a Karen before, though. That's a new one that I'm going to have to reflect <laughs> on. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's pretty Karen. I mean, giving him his due, I like a lot of aspects of this. I like that I don't have to go on a perilous voyage to get to heaven. Some friendly angels are going to come and scoop me up and show me the way. I'm not going to get lost along the way. So that's definitely a plus. Uh, I hate all the judgment aspects of it. I don't like the idea of St. Peter guarding the gates. I want to kick those gates open as soon as I get there. I, I don't like this idea of full-on servitude to something that you can't even be scientifically certain exists. And if you 
you don't take that leap of faith, then uh, that's like the most major stroke against you, sending you hellward as opposed to heavenward. Um, but you know what? I If I were to give it the star rating, I would actually put it at the two stars because I don't think it's quite as bad as as the ancient Egypt version, but still, still pretty nasty, still hard on the scale judgments going on. I think you're way too generous. Yeah, I give it a two as well. Really? Yeah, I give it two because I okay. It's it feels like the the, the major issue still for me is you have to have faith in the fact that there's this one almighty power that you as that you bow down to and uh, you know adore and but at the same time it it doesn't feel like there's a lot of uh legwork <laughs> that you have to do it's basically you <laughs> all you have to do is just um whatever ask for forgiveness and uh you know believe and Ta-da! <laughs> yeah, the strongest demand here, here are the keys. is just so. being on your knees and worshiping. I'm not sure why God and Jesus get off so hard on being worshipped so relentlessly, but it's like the absolute they're really essential. sensitive. That they're very sensitive it. about it. That might be so it. It's one of those, like, you know, when you work in customer service and you have that Karen and you kind of go, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I acknowledge what you're saying. I acknowledge it. <laughs> That's how I feel about God. I disagree with you. I think the entrance fee is far too high. I don't want to have to be always atoning for my sins and mm. getting uh, baptized and like. Oh, it don't just you just like do it so once? Don't don't you just do it once at like your deathbed? And I mean, then you yeah, get in? I'm saving it up for when I'm like 89 years old or <laughs> I'm going to forget really, really by decrepit. then. Dunk I'll me forget. then and wash it clean. I'll forget to do all that stuff. I won't even remember to get baptized at that point. Um, <laughs> okay, so. just carry an axe. All you need is an axe. What <laughs> in fact, just have the priest drown me while he's baptizing me. That way I'll be <laughs> definitely washed clean on my way up. <laughs> but that's the thing, though, is if, if I'm going to Valhalla, I don't have to believe that there's a god after this. I just need to hold an axe. And either way, I'm good. Right? Like, if there's a god, hey, I've got my axe. And if there's not, I've just got an axe. And that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So you would feel less stupid with an axe in your hand than you would having uh, fallen on your knees and and begged forgiveness from from an entity that that may not actually be waiting for you. Too weak. I have a Viking (laughs) spirit. (laughs) I'm not on my knees for anyone. I am on my feet fighting. That's the spirit. (laughs) (laughs) One star. One star. Actually, I would rather I would rather be on the boat. So I'm going to give that first one two stars. (laughs) 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 And I'm going to give this one one star. The boat past the serpents with knives and the fire breathing dragons. Yeah, it's not a big deal. The five headed reptiles. (laughs) I'm not afraid. And the memorization. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) too much work. Well, I that's why like... it gets two stars. It's because I have to memorize stuff. But, like, I'm not afraid of snakes or, you know, dragons would be pretty cool. So I'm not afraid <laughs> of all of that. I The memorization, now that would suck. So it only gets two stars. But it's better than, like, spending my whole life afraid of not atoning for my sins and making sure I check off this list. Yeah, being terrified know, for of me, I'm, I'm, 
I'm assuming I can strategize this by like not caring about it right up to the point of death. <laughs> Mm, I don't know. I think you're playing with fate there, Kenny. <laughs> I mean, keep in mind that the Jesus sees through the fakers. So you got to accept this in your heart true and through or or you're not getting in. Not me. Okay, very well. <laughs> Give me the axe. <laughs> Give me the axe. I mean, you're all forgetting that we could just all join the trees and the plants and then become part of the earth spirit. I'm still heading that way. <laughs> I think Kenny makes a good point, though. There are a lot of spirits I don't want to hang out with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just picturing them touching me. It's just like, ugh. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> not even touching you, being a part of you now. That they are you. You and, and Donald Trump are now one and the same, along with all the other Donald Trumps that have been throughout all of history. Every icky soul there's ever existed. And they're Plants could be assholes, too. There could be some nasty plants out there. You're joining with them. Poison ivy. Poison ivy looking at you. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be great. Great. <laughs> That's still my pick, though. You two can enjoy Valhalla and getting murdered every day. Have yeah, fun I'm with that. that. <laughs> oh, well, that was fun, but... Um... Before we uh, wrap up, do you guys know what uh, aperophobia is? No. Mm -mm. It's the fear of eternity. Oh. The fear of going on forever. (laughs) Really? As opposed to being not going on forever and just being snuffed out? Being snuffed out. Yeah. So... uh, so it, it is a thing. Apparently, some people have this uh, phobia, and it, it 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 causes people anxiety, like knowing that there is no end, and they can't foresee, um, they can't project. You know what does that look like? Because it's not really tangible, right? It's hard to mm. um, uh, kind of envision what forever looks like or feels like, and uh, people have anxiety about it. So. Um, yeah, so fun fact of the day. So the answer yeah. for them is atheism then, because at some point you just end. Yes. Yeah, yeah they're, exactly. They're hoping atheism for some uh, end. lack of dualism. They want it to just be one entity that goes away. Yeah. So that's where I sit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't have this phobia, but I, I can empathize with them. I can too. I can understand it. I just, I learned a new phobia today. Thank you, Kenny. And now maybe I'll grow to be terrified of it over time. <laughs> yeah. You just have to train yourself to have this phobia so that on your deathbed, you'll be like, I just want this to end. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Black screen of death. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So thanks everyone for listening. And... I think we've picked our, our end game uh, places. So I'll yeah. see you, Kenny and Valhalla. Enjoy Gaia, Rory. Ready to book we your will, tickets? <laughs> we will assemble and invade Gaia. <laughs> That's not part of it, Kenny. <laughs> okay, yeah, so thanks for listening. <laughs> I'll talk. see you guys next time. All right, bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.
I would like to contribute to Valhalla because I've been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Jump in there with all bring, of your... Bring, bring it forward. All of yeah. your knowledge. Mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a lot. <laughs> 